Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Go on your way, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Luke 10, 3. Good evening and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm delighted to be with you today to bring you homeschooled insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in the nooks and crannies of our lives and works wonders without us even asking, and most of the time without us noticing. Remember, we're blessed by our awesome Creator. Each week I entice an unsuspecting, hugely fascinating person to join me for part of the show. I offer a 30-minute natter and together we talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. Joining me today are Lainey Liberty and her son Miro, who are talking to me from Peru. What they're doing there will be revealed after the first break, so stay with me. On the family front, I'll be chatting about Summer Roses, our main vacation spot when the children were growing up, besides stateside Galveston, that is, and a berth. I'm drinking tea, and I would pass you a cucumber sandwich, an iced fancy with your Earl Grey, if you're with me on my patio, but instead, let's just pretend our little tea party. In my garden last week, I mentioned the bees on the lavender, hundreds of them, but I have to tell you about the roses. I'm not talking about bees on roses either, and I don't have a green thumb. I have two bushes, both of which bloom in bright orange with a touch of yellow. One has no scent, the other is heady with fragrance. Both of them bloomed late this June, and I had about a dozen roses, and then they all died. And that was the end of that. So I thought I'd go out and prune the bushes without really knowing how to do it. I cut everything off I think looked dead and left anything on that promised new growth. Bright green or red baby leaves were the clues I followed. And a month later I have buds galore on the fragrant bush. 25 at the last count. In fact, some of the stems have three and four blooms on them. I'm amazed and wonder how I got it so right. I like to leave them on the bush now, but we'll bring in a few of the wind-blown ones to enjoy at my desk. Mm, I can smell them from here. And I suppose I wouldn't be truly British if I didn't mention the royal birth. I am British, and I do want to say something, but what is there left to say? So we'll do a little recap. On the day of his arrival, Dortz texted me on her way to work that Kate was on her way to the hospital. Unbeknownst to me, crowds gathered outside St Mary's and the happy birth announcement occurred at 4.24 in the afternoon of Monday the 22nd of July. The easel went up inside the gate of Buckingham Palace the following day and then nothing until Tuesday evening at 7.13 in the evening when we were gifted with a lovely shot of the proud parents and their bundle of princely joy leaving St Mary's getting ready to go home to Kensington Palace. Hmm. Kate looked lovely, of course, but there was no name yet. Too early for that. Besides, as William explained, we're getting to know him. But the next day on Wednesday, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge declared they were naming their son, who is the third in line to the throne, George Alexander Louis, for no other reason than they liked the names. There will be lots of boy Georges in the future, I imagine. The churches in Britain prayed for the well-being of the new royal parents all that week, which was very unifying, and a breath of fresh air to have such joyous news hit the headlines instead of the grim stuff we've been treated to lately. He will be known as His Royal Highness Prince George of Cambridge. The little family have been staying with the in-laws, <coughs> excuse me, bonding in Bucklebury, Berkshire, Kate's family home. They're under guard by police on horseback and a helicopter, and since nothing has been seen or heard from them for a few weeks, a good job is being done. Of course, all our newborn babies are just as special as tiny Prince George, only the world doesn't realise it. 
<clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about our holiday habits as a family. We had to be a bit frugal because of the financial burden most of us homeschoolers come under, but with careful planning, as Marina Viatoro pointed out last week, a family vacation does not have to be prohibitive. So I found myself the wife of a world traveller who, when he came home off the road, liked to stay put and make a Martha Stewart home for himself and his family, not to mention cook up a storm competing seriously with the Iron Chefs. You have to agree that good cooking is most achie easily achieved at one's own range. That being said, we have a jolly good go at it between our kitchens in Galveston and England. Originally, when we bought our family home before child number one was born, I had a one-year plan of buy, sell, make a profit, and something my British friends have done quite successfully over the years. However, the market here is a little different. After the birth of a son and music tours coming at us fast and furious, the best laid plans of mice and men were rapidly evaporating. If you're a regular to my show, you'll know that the fairly recent sale of the family home bears witness to that fact 20-some-odd years later. My long-term dream of exotic locations with the rich and famous was also fading fast with the arrival of children, which really shouldn't stop extensive travel, but somehow it did in our case. The furthest my blue-eyed cowboy <coughs> wanted to venture was 500 miles down the road where the nearest beach is. We could have been location independent, but my wanderlust had pretty much vanished by the time I'd settled down and discovered that coming home to the same place every day was rather nice and did afford me a security I didn't think I'd needed. After seven years of marriage, having babies, and both of us tossing gold into the family coffers, my maternal instincts clicked in, takes me a while to fully register change, and had me gasping for a family life instead of schmoozing clients and managing telephone operators for at least 60 hours a week. Goodness, my office staff saw me twice as much as my family did. And so I slapped myself up the side of my head, realising the time had come for me to make a choice. It wasn't only my children I was depriving of my captivating presence. My Texan only saw me sporadically, depending on his touring schedule, and was growing green-eyed of my colleagues. Quite honestly, between us, we didn't invest much time in our children during their formative years. I thought that was fine and dandy based on my upbringing until my oldest had to leave his daycare for Montessori and then take a test for a public magnet elementary school. What a mouthful that was. And I had to scramble during his holidays to get him looked after while I worked. Crazy, I know. A few years later, my oldest daughter failed said test for the same mouthful of a school, which became the last straw as far as my career in corporate America went. I didn't think I could handle juggling two schools with the prospect of three once my oldest moved on to middle school. Plus, I was getting tired of the office. After resigning, I filled the hours when the children were in daycare or at school with volunteering and a half-hearted search for the perfect part-time job to keep me sane. When it finally dawned on me that I would be using three quarters of my salary in daycare and the rest on office clothes, I thought, blow that for the luck for a lark and became a full-time stay-at-home mum. Then I decided homeschooling described me to a T and I pulled the children out of school to join me in my at-homeness and the consequence of, consequence of all of this was simple. Our family income plummeted. Thank goodness I was a saver. It took a couple of years to recover from the shock of one income during which time our coffers took a beating. Staying put became that much easier because of the expense of travelling with four extra passengers. On the odd occasion when we decided we could spring for a holiday, we felt we had to go in pursuit of family, whether they wanted us to or not. England became our second vacation spot, which is probably foreign or exotic enough for most. In my mind, foreign means you don't speak the lingo, and the last time I looked, we all speak English in our family, albeit American English and England was my home, so strictly speaking, it didn't count as being abroad or exotic. But hey, it'll do pig for us. Well, it looks as though it's time for me to go on a short break. But before I do, let me tell you about my guest this week and her son. Lainey Liberty is a recovering branding expert whose 18-year career once focused on creating campaigns for green eco-business non-profits. 
In 2008, California's economy took a turn and Lainey decided to be the change instead of the victim of the collapse. She and her then nine-year-old son, Miro, began the process of redesigning their lives with the dream of spending stress-free quality time together. After closing her business, selling and giving away all of their possessions, does this sound a little like the instructions Jesus gave his disciples in my opening verse? Go on your way, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. And quite honestly, when I travel, I look at all my bags and I think, I wish I could sell everything and just have minimalistic possessions. But anyway, Lainey and Moreau ridded themselves of unwanted baggage and they hit the road for a permanent adventure in mid-2009. Four years, 14 countries and many personal changes later, they continue to slow travel around the globe, living an inspired, possession-free lifestyle, volunteering and learning naturally. When I return, I'll be talking to Miro first to get his take on the great adventure he and his mum are living. So don't go too far. I'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm talking to Miro this week, and um, at the moment he is living abroad, and he's an unschooler. And uh, Miro, welcome to my show. Thank you. It's a pleasure having me here. And tell me, tell me where you are. I am in Peru, Mm -hmm. um, in Cusco, high in the mountains, actually. In Cusco. So I have a map in front of me, so... Where is it close to? Is it does it border another country? Um, no, we're kind of in the heart of Peru. You're right in the heart of Peru, so sort of landlocked. We're in the Andes, yes. Oh, right. So you're in the Andes. What's that like? Did you suffer a little bit from um, altitude? Uh, yeah, everyone does. Yeah, it's um pretty high up. Yeah, yeah. So how? Did, what happened to you? Um, it's just harder to breathe that's really it mm-hmm. it's hard to catch your breath yeah and how long did it take you to get used to that uh a few days actually yeah you, you get used to it yeah the headaches are the worst though yeah 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 i've never i've 
been to Colorado and my children got sick. I didn't get sick at all, but one of my children got really nauseous and, you know, it was like sunstroke. It was just awful. Yeah, altitude sickness is not fun. No, no. And you also say, I, I've been reading some of the things on your blog, and one of the things you say is um, stay away from people who are sick. Avoid them like the plague. It's no fun being sick on the road. So have you been, I mean, you've been out for how long now? Uh, out of the States? Yeah, traveling. Um, we just started our fifth year, actually. Right. So have you been sick during that time at all? Many times, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what do you do? I mean, can you hold up and just kind of stop or what happens? That's what I try to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, just sit down, relax with some vitamin C mm-hmm. and just hope for the best, really. Yeah. Yeah. So do you carry a lot of medicine, simple medicines around with you? Uh, yeah, we try to. Yeah. Yeah. Is it easy to get where you are? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when you left America, where was the first place you went? Uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. We um, we stopped in Mexico and we traveled around and that was really our first uh, country. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Belize. Mm-hmm. Um, then we actually kind of jumped to Costa Rica. It's, it's kind of an odd story. But we, we traveled around from there a lot. Mm-hmm. So when you're traveling a distance, like a longer distance, um, how do you travel? Do you go by, or just tell bus, me how you travel? Yes. What did you say? Bus. We travel by bus. Oh, you do? Okay. Yes, overland. Yeah. So what's that like? Um, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's like being on a bus, really. It's, <laughs> <laughs> there's not much to it. You sit down and wait. And I mean, are they, is it crowded? I mean, do people carry weird stuff with them? You know, we've been on a few buses where uh, people have brought on chickens and pigs. Mm-hmm. So that really so, does happen. Yeah, it, it does. It's not a myth. <laughs> I know that there's um, some airlines where people actually take their their animals with them like that. Like like chickens. Yeah. I, I think you're talking yeah. about lap yeah. dogs. Yeah. So one of these days you might experience that. Maybe. Yeah. So so you go over land, so that's good. Do you do a lot of walking? Yeah. Yeah. We try to. Are you an outdoorsy person? Oh, no. 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 <laughs> I, so it uh, seems as though this this journey of yours, I mean, you can't really sit and not do anything cause you have to move. You're slowly moving. Um, so how do you get over that? I mean, you actually have to get out and go do things. So how how do you do that? Do we, though? Oh, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> well, my mom and I are slow traveling, so we uh, we stop and we settle in one place for a little while. We've actually been in Cusco for almost a year. So, um, okay. Yeah. So you you settle. So when you settle, what what do you do? Do you rent somewhere? Do you move around and have sort of different places that you stay in the one place, or do you? Yeah. What do you do? We generally just rent an apartment and uh, kind of live as locals, mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. So you have this whole um, apartment now at the moment. Do you always, yes. have you always had that, or are there other situations where you live differently? Oh, uh, there are. We usually try and rent apartments, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what about um, traveling and being with your mom twenty four seven? What's that like? Difficult at times, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So, what in, what in particular is difficult? Well, I mean, just if you spend twenty four seven like all of your time with someone, eventually there will be conflict. Um, so, what, so what do you do when that happens? I mean, do you have your own space that you can go to? Do you get out and do something? We we talk about it. Yeah. We always have talked about it. And we really try and resolve the issue um, up front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Instead of, instead of there being that elephant in the room and you're just kind of oh, yeah. skirting around it. Okay, so when you left, when you left L.A., your mom sold everything and you travel with everything, all of your belongings in a backpack. What was that like? Um, it, it is kind of tough choosing what to bring and what not to because you are limited to what you can put in your backpack. But, I mean, we work around it. 
you get used to it eventually. So what do you pack in your backpack? What goes in there? Usually clothes, electronics, and a few personal belongings. So you you take you've got clothes, okay? So you bought clothes with you when you first left. Obviously, yep. you're not wearing you're a child. So you're not wearing the same clothes that you were wearing 5 years ago. So what happens? Do you kind of give it away? Did it wear out? Do you buy new stuff on the road? How did, how did you handle that? Yeah, we, we really just uh, give away all of my old clothing mm-hmm. uh, once it doesn't fit anymore mm-hmm. to the locals. And um, we just stock up on new clothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so do you think living with the, with the bare minimum, do you think that's easier or has it made it harder for you? Uh, living with a backpack? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not having to worry about, you know, all of these belongings and wanting more and, you know, you've, you've got what you've got and that's it. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say. It's a bit of both, really. Yeah. It, sometimes I'm upset about not having enough and other times I'm glad I have next to nothing. Mm-hmm. So do you meet people on the road who maybe make you feel a little bit like that um, and give and you suffer with a little bit of peer pressure like you may have done in LA? Um, do, you, do you meet people who might have something really cool that you want or does that not play into it at all? No, not really. No. Okay. So in one of your writings, you said that schools kill dreams. So how have your dreams changed from when you were in LA to today? They have, most okay. definitely. Uh, I want to be a successful writer today. Right. Okay. So when you were at school in LA, what did you want to do? I actually didn't have a dream back no, then. You didn't? No, I really didn't know what I, where I was going. Yeah. But, well, you yeah. were young. I was very young. Yeah, and you're still you're still young, but it's really great that you now have um, a goal. So you want to write. That's great. Um, what about a couple of things that you say that you do? One of them is you love manga. Now you need to tell me Man- what manga is. Manga is it's kind of like a um, a Japanese comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read them in English, of course, translated. Mm-hmm. But you read them from right to left, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. Yeah. And yeah. how did you get interested in manga? Uh, one of my friends told me about it one day, and then I started reading it, and I just I couldn't stop. So this was years ago? Um, I'm going to say about a year and a half ago. Okay, so one of your friends that you met while you've been traveling. Yes. Yeah? Yeah? All right. And so are they adventure stories? Are these hit like heroes, like superheroes, like Superman? And It's, um, it's more... I mean, it is Japanese, so it's like more about uh, ninjas and samurai and pirates and mm-hmm. all this weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Robots. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've never seen anything like that. So I think my children are not into that kind of thing, or maybe it's newer than when my children were, were young. And it, um, a... I, need, I need to look out for it. So are there, do they have little figures? Do they have merchandise? Yeah. Yeah. But I, mean, I read the books, not. Yeah. No, you don't buy into the merchandise. Yeah, it's really, it's like a graphic novel. That's yeah. really what it is. Oh, okay. An ongoing graphic novel. And so what kind of writing are you interested in doing? Are you interested in, in writing graphic novels? Uh, no, I am a horrible illustrator. Okay. I actually like writing, um, I'm currently writing a novel, actually, okay. about this guy who uh, travels through time and space and delivers pizza. Oh. <laughs> yeah, lots of yeah. adventures. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, um, Made-up planets? Yeah, all yeah. D- different dimensions and characters and races. Mm-hmm. The the villain is this guy named the Killer Vegan, who, uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's kind of evil, yeah. Yeah. Well, it he, sounds like you have a good imagination. I, that's what I like to believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and those wonderful writers also oh, yeah. did the same kind of thing. I mean, they made up their whole whole underground oh. or middle middle earth and language and um, places and characters. So, you know, you're with good company. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the other thing that you're really interested in is cryptozoology. So tell me what that is. Cryptozoology, it's um, kind of the study 
of the unknown, mm-hmm. um, but like bio- uh, biological. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Bigfoot or like the Loch Ness Monster, mm-hmm. uh, those are some more of the famous uh, cryptids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all different cryptids around the world, and uh, like not much is really known about them, mm-hmm. but that's what makes it so interesting. And so what do you think? These are based on maybe real sightings or legends yes. or myths and... Really all of the above. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. you know, brought to life by people's imagination, I suppose. Well, they're actually real. I believe they're out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people have sight, uh, seen them and, um, yeah. <laughs> well, and other people like the, the um, skeptics have... have um, explained it away with by some, with some other with other reasons, right? Of course, but you have to believe. <laughs> you have to believe, All right? Well, that sounds really interesting. As your uh, have you got, have you got some of those kinds of creatures in your novel that you're writing? Yes, yeah. there's a few. Yeah, some that you've made up yourself. Yeah, there's the um, there is a race of creatures called the octopods, mm-hmm. and they are. Humanoid octopi. Mm-hmm. All right, and the, you're going to have somebody illustrate, or can your mum draw? Uh, no, I'll, I'll have someone illustrate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't think I could draw either until I had children, and then I would draw something to illustrate something for them because they weren't reading, and I thought, oh, what can I do so that they can understand what I'm trying to say? in my story to them without having to write it out and so I started to draw and I just started with little stick figures well they thought I was wonderful they thought I was the best artist out there so just just have confidence and just just you know you can get better if you practice if you know only you know what's going on in that head of yours so yeah. you either put it down on with writing or you can uh, attempt to draw it all right so um what about food have you What's what's the food like in Peru? You obviously like it in Peru. You've been there nearly a year, so what's it like? I love Peru, but mm-hmm. the food is really not one thing I'm fond of. Um, it it involves a lot of meat, mm-hmm. rice, uh, and guinea pig. Oh, and and I know the la- the the last thing I've read, you haven't tried it yet. But have you tried it now? No, no? I still. Have. So I was thinking, oh, what could, what would it taste like? Would it taste like chicken or would it taste like a pig? Probably tastes like chicken because everything tastes like chicken. I know. <laughs> it tastes just like chicken. But you think with the name pig in it, I'm, I'm kind of um, biased towards that porky taste. Have you smelled it? Yeah. What does it smell like? I have no idea. Oh, so I've, you've never been around it even I've, being cooked? I've tried not to been, uh, be around it. Oh. Now, in Peru, do they have snakes and dangerous kind of wildlife? Well, you have to remember the Amazon is a part of Peru. Okay. Like Peru has a part of Amazon in it. Mm-hmm. And of course there are really dangerous snakes and mm-hmm. bugs and there's um in the Amazon River there's this one animal that I think is amazing. It's a an electrical stingray. Oh. So, have you seen it? Have you seen one? I have not. You've no. not seen one, you just know about it. Yeah, I've okay. heard about it. All right. So, walking around in the bush or jungle forest terribly dangerous do you do that um well i live in the andes in the mountains Mm -hmm. so there's not very many poisonous things out there okay but in in the amazon there is definitely and so does it get really cold up in the mountains in the winter yes yes it is it's actually winter right now okay so what what do you have what kind of weather do you have uh, rainy. Sometimes it hails. Mm-hmm. It's um, pretty much always gray, except for during the days. Um, and it, the temperature drops drastically at night. Mm-hmm. And what kind of daylight time do you have? What time does it get light and what time does it get dark? Um, I, I don't know what time it gets light because I'm never up at that time. <laughs> Before but, you rise, it gets light. <laughs> yes. Um, but it always gets dark at around 6. Okay. Okay, so is it about the same? Let me let me see. Where are you? You're not near the equator, are you? No, not yet. Uh, Ecuador is the country above us, and Ecuador in Spanish means the equator. Okay, so you are. So kind we are of, kind of close. All right, all right. So you've probably got. So if it gets dark at around six, it's probably getting light around six. So. 
Maybe yeah. one night you might stay up all night and find out what time the sun rises. Yeah. <laughs> you could do that. You could do it. Probably. Anything. All right. Well, Moreau, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. We have to go on a short break night now. So I'm going to say um, goodbye to you for the moment, and I'm going to talk to your mum. But, you know, if there's anything that you want to say, if you want to jump in when I ask her some questions that you want to say something about, just feel free, okay? All right. All right. So we're going on a short break now. We'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Lainey, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm glad you could make it. I know we had a little bit of a snafu yesterday, but that's absolutely fine. And today, loud and clear, sounds good for now. So, Lainey, first off, um, when you were in L.A., you were working for green businesses, and so you already had an idea of carbon footprinting, and I think, you know, as Americans, we all think we're doing the best that we can, or we're going to try and do the best that we can, and then you get out into the world, and you realize, oh my gosh, I wonder if what we're doing is really effective, how can I change that as an individual? Tell me a little bit, tell me something about how you felt when you left L.A. and how you feel now about, you know, the the attempts in America to keep everything green, you know, this whole political push towards green and actually what it's like, really. Sure. Well, that's that's quite a um, a bundle to, to, to approach in, in, you know, such a short segment. But what I want to say is... When I started to work in uh, advertising, marketing, and graphic design, I, I had almost a 20-year career. And the last eight years of my career, I got outside of the um, consumerist pull. I really wanted to do something that made a difference, mm-hmm. or that made, made a difference in not only the life that I was leading, but how I was contributing and using my talents. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So my focus became on green eco-businesses and nonprofits and using my talents for good instead of what I called evil because I started to have these internal struggles between creating consumerism where it was a very unhealthy um, cycle and I could see how destructive it was in our own unconscious thinking. So when I started focusing on um, green eco-businesses and green messaging, basically, I was one of the first marketers to really specialize in this and I was very, very passionate. And for me, it was a way to combine my uh, passion for activism and, and making change in the world and personal accountability with my professional life. So what what I found was in the beginning, in in the um, early 2000, 2001, 2002, people were very receptive to this and, and there was a lot of um, shift in consciousness on how businesses were functioning and it, it it was a swing upward it was a swing towards the right things and it it was it was gratifying to being a, a part of that um, movement however as the years went on I started to see more and more of a trend of what we call greenwashing and it became um you know, many campaigns, businesses, industries would take on the, um, the the main ideas without really the passion, the, the authenticity, and the follow through, and so it became a little bit of just of it, it became discouraging to be to see such great um, ideas being used as part of the industry that I was in was marketing and advertising. It now became another theme and that was discouraging. And when Miro and I finally left the United States and stepped outside of that consumerist bubble, one of the first places we went to was Costa Rica and Costa Rica was known for its green eco stance and we expected to walk into a green jungle where everybody was super conscious and where everybody had the same um, passion for the environment and things you know I, I just imagine you know birds chirping and you know almost like walking into a Disney movie I mean this is the kind of reality that I was expecting and what we found was what we've been told about a particular country and the green marketing part of it was true but there was not the buy-in from the stakeholders who were the people living in the country and in fact they were experiencing an influx of tourism that excluded them that they were not um, reaping the benefits or the rewards from in terms of the industry themselves and they had no education about green eco-friendly um, tourism or did they have any education about even recycling or throwing their trash away mm -hmm. so there, there there's a, a true disconnect and, and when I now that I've been outside of the United States and outside of the marketing world and outside of the green green marketing green advertising mm -hmm. world itself I have a little bit of distance and I could see um, you know what works what doesn't work and Really, it's got to be a ground-level buy-in by everybody, by all of the stakeholders in order to have a successful, you know, eco-footprint um, awareness. And, you know, people are doing their small bits, but to say that a, a nation is green or to say that a company or a tourism um, industry is completely dedicated. It's not true until everybody is on the same um, wavelength and and the same ideas. So you talk about that. So in Peru and in some of these countries that you visited, like Costa Rica, um, are they as aware of emissions as we supposedly are in America or as, as we are in America? Because you go to somewhere like India or China and they have no 
idea. I mean, they just put out so much, you know, pollution into the air that what we're doing in America seems to, you know, sort of be just so tiny. It's it's a tough one, and I can't I can't claim to know, um, you know, what the consciousness is of a of a complete nation but I can say in Peru they do have a raised awareness around things that matter to them and one of those things is healthy food Um, GMOs are banned here in Peru and that's a really good thing however in some of the larger cities we've noticed that the pollution you know where there's a lot of traffic it's pretty bad so you know i mean it really depends on from a from a, a cultural community um you know an overall stance what's important to the people mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah you're right you're absolutely right i um and somebody else that i've spoken to in malaysia talks about you know some of the forests being cut down for oil whatever the um oil that they're planting palm palm oil trees and you know not thinking about the wildlife that they're displacing along the way you know because the bottom line is it's marketable we're going to make a lot of money and what the the, the wildlife is making nearly as much money so you know you're right what's important and you know that comes down to the individual as well because when I was teaching my children I always had to bring a major world issue down to just a family you know and so what's important to you Lainey is what drives you right absolutely and I spent a good portion of my life my adult life working for causes working for human rights working for equality working outside of Um, you know, my home, my life, my body, everything to make the change in the world that I wanted to see. And what I've realized through the almost, well, we just started on our fifth year of travel. What my son and I are doing now is little by little, traveling slowly, immersing ourselves in cultures, talking to people, honoring humanity, serving. We've volunteered so many times in so many different countries and so many different organizations. What we're doing now is we're being the humanity that we wanted to see on a larger scale. The only thing we have total, total control over is our own experience and our own perception and our own attitudes. And when we engage with people in a, in a country that's not ours, our guest country, our host country, and we're positive and we're respectful and we honor everybody's humanity and we don't create a, a difference in you know who they are and and in between who we are, you know, we're no better, we're no worse, we're on the same same level, we're humanity. That's changing the world, and that's what we have control over. So instead of, of working on campaigns, we're now being, you know, the, the positive change that we would hope humanity would be. Mm. And so um, I was going to ask you what message you're carrying with you, and you're carrying that message with you. And you're, it sounds as though you're not really even traveling as American representatives of America. You know, you're you're traveling as human beings, right? And we we call the United States our passport country because that's that's where we belong to. That's where our passport says we belong to. But we like to say we're global citizens, mm. and and that feels better for both of us. Mm. So, have you met uh, many like people on the road? traveling the same as you we've met so many people we've met a lot of travelers we've met families we've met people that were inspired to follow their dreams and and do the most incredible and amazing and sometimes outlandish things we've met people that you know have have let go of the idealism of what it means to be an American, to be, you know, a, a consumer, to be all of those things, to be, to be very similar to 
the way very similar to the things that we're doing but they're doing it in their own ways like for example we met a man who um, was inspired to take the prayers of other people and meditate on them and walk from California to Brazil and it took him three years to do it and we've met we've met school teachers who have given up teaching to you know in the United States to work with children in the dumps in Guatemala. We've worked with I mean, we've met people of all walks of lives that have just completely let go of what they thought they should be doing and followed their passions. And it's just the most incredible, you know, the most incredible gift to come across people that are inspired and following their passions we haven't really met families like us though we've met families that are taking gap years and and traveling um but as of as of now we haven't met a roaming nomadic gypsy um global citizen kind of family like us Hmm. so you've been in peru mira was telling Mm -hmm. me for almost a year and um, when when do you decide to move on? We actually are coming up on two years in Peru. The really? first, yeah, this uh, Cusco, we will almost have been here for a year oh, okay, in Cusco. That's right. okay, okay. Yeah, um, we we lived in three or four different places before we moved to Cusco. So we've sampled quite a bit of of um, Peru. We, Miro and I say we're both guided by inspiration. When it feels good, we stay. When we're ready to go, we go. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's no place we have to be. There's nothing we have to do. There's nothing, no time frame we're on. So if we like it, we're staying. Mm-hmm. So you're up in the mountains in the yes. Andes and you live in an apartment. Now, is it a large apartment building? Describe it. <laughs> So we have a teeny little apartment. Um, I say to people it's made of plywood and duct tape, but it's not really. But what we do is we live in local housing. Um, this is how the locals live. And we tend to rent either an apartment or a room in, in a house or we live with a family. We try and live well, every every time that we settle, we live as local as possible. We do not live as tourists, and we don't live in the high-rises um, because that would separate us. And, and frankly, we have, you know, a very small living budget as well. Our um, one-bedroom teeny house on the hill in Cusco cost us about 300 American dollars a month. So... Um, you know, it's it's affordable living, but it's not luxury by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Well, Lainey, we're going to have to come to a close for this part of um, your talk with me. But next week, Lainey and I will continue our conversation. So for now, it's goodbye. Um, Lainey and Miro, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us. Bye. Bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. 
why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I think you'll agree that Lainey Liberty and her son Nero lead quite a life, huh? They're both following their interests on the road. The planet has been transformed into their classroom. Lainey says we're blessed to be accidental unschoolers. And she's become an advocate for life learning at any age. As you could hear, she was having as much fun learning new things as her son was. They invite you to follow along as they live the history and culture of foreign lands, encounter amazing people, interact as global citizens, serve as volunteers, and can't help but learn along the way. Join them on their website, RaisingMiro, that's M-I-R-O dot com. And don't forget to come back next week to hear part two of our conversation. And go to my page where I've got it linked. Well, back to our family exotic holidays in England. We took our first full family trip to the land of my birth, where my youngest was six. We worked on the premise that by then all of them were old enough to be conscious of such a mammoth event, making it an indelible memory for all involved. As I said, our youngest was six and our oldest was 12. Thus began a tradition of holidaying in England for at least three weeks at a time and always in our own flat or house, costing us weekly what our mortgage did monthly. There wasn't any room at the proverbial family inn. We had to rent a people carrier since no normal car could seat all of us safely. The six of us en masse were overwhelming for my parents, along with our American joy de vivre, but we kept going back for more. It was in England that the children learned the skill of adapting to living spaces and became to appreciate the value of McNenny-style entertaining, which could be done anywhere. At the drop of a hat, in strange kitchens, dining rooms and gardens, we threw parties for every occasion, including our annual Easter celebration. We gave fancy and casual dinners for family and visiting friends, spread cream teas on linen set with bone china, marked birthdays and anniversaries, hosted Christmas lunch for 20, planned and presided over funerals and weddings. They learned to shop like pros at the vegetable stalls in open-air street markets, butcher shops along the high street, fishmongers at the docks, and bakeries on every street corner. During the following ten years, we made the trek eight times. 911 struck the fear of God into the British side of the family, so they stayed put on the other side of the pond while we travelled backwards and forwards for the memory bank. My friend Jennifer Miller so rightly says she and her family gave up toys and other material possessions that just gather dust eventually rust, rot or get thrown out in favour of memories that will last forever. As dual citizens, my children are no strangers to their second home. They can speak the language. Yes, it's English, but American English is somewhat different to British English. They know the words for common objects that are different on both continents. Tap is faucet. Trousers are pants. A vest is an undershirt. A waistcoat, a vest. Chips are French fries, crisps are chips, the loo or lab is the restroom or bathroom, a boot is a trunk, the bonnet is the hood, petrol is gas and a butty is a sandwich. Chips and hot sauce could appear at the table as French fries and ketchup and have done, but a beer is always a beer and don't get me started on asking for water in America, it's easier to order a glass of wine. 
And as home-hewn scholars on holiday, my growing brood digested many a museum in London, where we would spend a week or ten days to get our fill of the cultural side of the trip. Castles and dungeons, prisons and criminal courts, churches and abbeys, medieval villages, ancient marshes, woodlands, hedgerows, wherever you look. Commons and green spots have us forgetting that England is a very small country compared with Texas. And this next fact is important for mums with young children as I was for many, many years. Walking barefoot in the park or across meadows is perfectly safe here. No fear of stepping on fire ant beds or inciting a rattlesnake to break cover. But do watch out for those stingy nettles that proliferate the narrow lanes and leave a nasty rash with the slightest brush. And stag beetles, they can give you a nasty shock, their appearance anyway. I've never experienced a bite from one of these. I'm not brave enough to play with them, but Their appearance is, as I said, a little intimidating. When driving along, the absence of billboards and advertising on the motorways is refreshing. Instead, we watch from our windows grazing cows and bee-coated horses in the fields, or we either crawl along in traffic jams or speed past on an empty stretch of the M-something, not yet on the visitors' sat-navs. Travelling is sometimes stressful, sometimes great. But... I can't mention England without going into the magnificent public transport, which we all prefer, because we don't have to do the driving. And trains have timetables that they actually follow, and they leave stations dead on time to traverse the countryside in organised crisscrossings of tracks, some at breakneck speeds, others at more sedate paces, to ensure every city, town and village has choices for the pedestrian public when wanting to get from A to B. In my own sweet town of Beckenham, for example, we have four stations within a mile of each other to choose from, all with different London destinations. There's Victoria, Charing Cross, Waterloo or London Bridge, depending on the connections you have to make. Buses too are impressive throughout the Queensland and Little Prince George's, but he'll probably never know that. Not only do they frequent the main roads, but they also service the neighbourhoods. It is considered a plus to have a bus stop outside your door on a country lane. Trust me. The Orient Express runs from Victoria too. Did you know that? We've seen people dressed to the nines, boarding their carriage for a dinner run to somewhere, looking very swanky, with the old-fashioned dining car tables laid with silver, crystal and china, and waiters with their white gloves on. Oh, very smart. Memorising the tube map is a party trick in our house. Travelling by underground is quick and easy, about two minutes a stop, so calculating journey times is a cinch. There's an app available that gives you the journey time from start to finish now, so the guesswork is zapped. Where's the fun in that? Knowing which mainline stations are linked to tube lines is impressive. Victoria, our main station from Beckenham Junction, connects with the Victoria District and Circle lines. Knowing which station has long walks to connecting lines is helpful. For example... Bank is one of the longest walks from the district line to the central line, and Covent Garden on the Piccadilly line has 192 steps up to the street. Passengers are advised to take the lift. There is no escalator. Hampstead has the deepest lift shaft, 181 feet, no stairs, and the busiest station during rush hour is Waterloo. And knowing where to get off and walk instead of changing lines for the sake of five-minute stroll through the streets is useful too. We always go to Embankment on the district line and walk through the park to Covent Garden or Leicester Square instead of changing to the Piccadilly line and surfacing at Covent Garden to climb the 192 stairs. The Northern Line takes you out to Golders Green, Highgate and Hampstead where the heath is. I lived on the Northern Line growing up, only I was at the Southern End where Clapham Common and Vauxhall are, not as fancy as the posh end further north. Finally, a trick of my southern gentlemen's is knowing where the toilets are, since the public ones aren't suitable for young children or adults for that matter, and few and far between. Many of the coffee shops and small restaurants don't have loos, but find a large department store and you should be able to locate a cloak from Selfridges, Harrods, Debenhams. Hotels like Savoy and Ritz are good places if you're a little fancy addressed and look as if you're staying there. The best bet is to head, though, for an Apple store. There are several of those, and the crowd inside means no one will ever know you're not just a customer browsing. There's nothing a mother dreads hearing most from her young child than, I need to go to the bathroom really badly. Be prepared is all I can say. 
Enough said about the zany educational advantages of our trips to England. Travelling delivers skills no one would ever teach in a classroom. You have to do it. As Jennifer Miller from adventureproject.com says, there are so many ways that relationships are benefited by travel. For us, the whole reason we hit the road was to spend time together, make memories and learn as a family. There's something about struggling through hard things on the road that bonds people. We have an interdependence and a connectedness that makes it easy to rely on one another and causes us to approach new challenges with confidence because we know that together we can overcome. Children aren't just accessories or responsibilities. They're contributing members and very valuable to the team. Since so many of the high points of life are shared and the great successes come as a family instead of independently through work or school in the absence of family, we become one another's greatest cheerleaders in addition to teammates and our memory is a shared collection, a mosaic of team victories. That bonds parents to kids and siblings to one another in ways very few other things can. Thanks, Jennifer, for those words. Well, I'm done rattling for another week, and I haven't forgotten about news of high kicking on the sea dorts. That's coming up next week. I'm having fish and chips tonight. We don't do it so often now that we're on our own. And I'll be back, same time, same place next week, with more adventures from London. That's Friday at noon in Texas, and six in the evening here in Merry Old. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guests, Lainey Liberty and her son, Miro, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Esme, Millicent, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience, and thank you. Just stay tuned in all the time and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Numbers 6, 24 to 26. Do, 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 do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.